Hello, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Welcome to reInvent, and welcome to this breakout session. I appreciate you finding time during lunchtime and making to this session. Should we get started? I think so. Ready? If you have been wondering how to best invest your creativity and time in generating revenue through Alexa, you have come to the right session. I'm Neelam Sabu, Senior Product Manager with Amazon Alexa team, and with me here we have Max Child, founder of Volley and creator of many successful Alexa skills. When Max and his uh, co-founder, James, pivoted their mobile game development business to voice game consultancy business, they did not anticipate that their skills would be one of the top-rated games on Alexa. In less than about a year or so, their skills, uh, name that tune song quiz, and name your own adventure, Yes Sire, have amassed over 500,000 monthly active users, and they have been growing at a super high speed month over month. Both their skills have five-star ratings and over thousands of reviews. Majority of today's presentation, Max will be uh, sharing his team's journey through of skill development as well as monetization and what elements they have used to generate these engaging and exciting skills. Before we get into that, let me provide you a brief introduction to in-skill purchasing capabilities for first few minutes. Thank you, Max. We will not be getting into coding details in this session, but we'll be sharing best practices, the do's and don'ts of designing engaging and exciting skills with monetization capabilities built into those. At the end of this one hour, there are three key takeaways I would like to walk you with. First, why invest in in-skill purchasing? Second, how to best design your skills with in-skill purchasing built into those? And third, how do you design these engaging skills so that your customers keep coming back over and over again and are willing to pay for your content? Let me give you a quick timeline of when Alexa started and where we are today. Amazon launched Echo in November 2014. And since then, there are millions of Alexa-enabled devices in customers' homes and even offices. We launched Alexa Skills Kit, or what we call Ask, in June 2015. Ask is a collection of self-service APIs and tools for developers to create skills quickly and easily. For the first two years, we focused on building the foundational pieces for, of these tools so that developers can creating, create exciting and engaging experiences easily. However, developers did not have any capabilities to directly monetize their investment. So late last year, we introduced in-skill monetization. In November 2017, we launched Beta with a handful of partners where customers had capabilities to purchase subscriptions as well as game packs in their skills. We received tremendous positive response from developer community. 
for these capabilities, as well as huge customer feedback on the availability of these premium contents. Based on that feedback, we made these capabilities available to all the developers earlier this year. In May 2018, we opened up InScale capabilities to all the developers to create different types of InScale products and have, have the ability for customers to purchase these products. We have a year worth of learning from our experiences, internal experimentation, as well as from external developers' feedback that we would like to share with you today so that you can build upon these experiences and create delightful customer experiences. So why in-skill purchasing? Creating these premium experiences requires time and effort. So before you get into the what's and how's and the nitty-gritties of creating these experiences, let's take a moment to understand what's in it for you. What is the value for you to embrace this new technology? First and foremost, the sheer size of opportunity and the potential. Since launch, there are millions of Alexa-enabled devices uh, which are there in customers' homes with which these customers are engaging and conversing every day. How many times have you seen a new channel making their way into people's homes? We had print, TV, internet, and now voice. Voice economy is still new, but the potential is huge. You have an opportunity to create engaged and loyal customer base, but in addition, even create a viable business model around it. And once you start generating direct revenue from your skill experiences, you can invest, reinvest that revenue into creating even more engaging content which customers love and are willing to pay for. Second reason why you should invest in creating these uh, experiences is customers do love engaging skills. From data as well as anecdotes, what we have seen is customers appreciate and value these new and premium experiences. At Amazon, we always start with customers and we take pride in being Earth's most customer-centric company. And we encourage all of you developers to also start with customers. Here's uh, interesting customer feedback on YesSire. This customer talks about how engaging and exciting the game is. And in fact, what he calls out, interestingly, is not having a screen and just using your imagination actually enhances the voice experience. Throughout the presentation, Max will share the tips and tricks of how they have created such enhanced user experience and exciting gameplay just with voice. So what are in-skill products? And what does it mean for you to create these in-skill products? Like any other digital product, which you may be already used to, voice products or in-skill products are nothing but a gate around your content. And there are three different aspects of creating in-skill products. The first, the product itself, the contents that you put behind that gate. Second, the price. What is, what is the price that you're asking the customer to unlock this gate? And third, placement. Where do you decide to place this gate so that customers get that free experience 
which draws them in to want more, and hence they are willing to pay for your contents. There are three in-skill products that we have made available for you to create. One is very similar to the book that you're used to. You buy a book, you have access to the contents of the book, and you can keep using it again and again. In the skill world, we call those one-time purchases. These are the products that unlock access to the contents within a skill and are available to the customer to use anytime they wish. Some examples are themed game packs, for example, a seasonal game pack that you may want to make available to your customers. Second, subscriptions, like magazine or newspaper subscriptions that you're used to. In the skill world, we call those in-skill subscriptions, and these offer access to the contents on a periodic basis for a recurring fee. Typical examples would be podcasts or access to your large catalog, which, you would, which your customers would pay for a recurring fee. And the third, this is the most intuitive, you buy a cheeseburger, you consume it, if you want more, you have to pay again. In our skill world, we call those consumables. These are the pieces of content which get depleted with use and can be purchased again if required. Typical examples would be in-game currency or hints in a trivia game or lives in an adventure game. Putting all of this together, this is a, a high-level overview of how your configurations, your inputs work with what Alexa offers to create a seamless customer purchase experience. The content that you see here in orange are fields or prompts provided by the developer, and the contents in blue that you see here are the purchase prompts that Alexa provides. So for example, in this case, at a certain point in your game, you may want to offer your product to customer. In this specific case, you would say that, hey, it looks like you want a science pack, but you don't have access to it. Would you like to learn more? When the customer says yes, you provide the benefit or what exactly the product is. In this case, you would say that the science category will give you access to physics or biology questions. Would you like to buy it? And at that point, Alexa can offer either some kind of promotion or a discount if the customer is eligible and handle the purchase flow after that. Once the purchase is either uh, accepted, declined, or uh, unsuccessful, Alexa would hand the control back to your skill so that then you can, your skill experience can continue. With that introduction, I'd like to invite Max to share his learnings. And this is the quote that I would like to spend some time going through. This is an interesting quote where customer loved the game so much, he actually went through all the story paths in this game. And in fact, the uh, review is one page long because he has written down every prompt and every story path. And I couldn't fit the whole thing on one page. Max. <laughs> Thanks so much, Neelam. All right, so today I'm going to talk a little bit about in-skill purchases and sort of how to think about them, both from kind of a conceptual and an implementation level. Um, but to kick things off, kind of the core skill I'm going to talk about today, you know, in terms of examples for how to integrate in-skill purchases in your product, is called Yes Sire, which uh, Neelam already mentioned. So for those that don't know, Yes Sire is sort of a choose-your-own-adventure, interactive fiction-type game where we play you know, 20 to 30-second clips of a medieval story, and you make yes or no choices and try to stay alive. So I'm going to play you a little, little brief one-minute demo so you kind of get a feel for how the game works, and we can go from there. 
Welcome to Yes Sire. Sire, the king has appointed you to be a lord of these lands. I will come to you with a series of difficult choices. Answer my questions with a simple yes or no and try to maintain balance in the kingdom. Sire, I have learned a new spell that will make you invisible. Shall I cast it on you? Yes. It seems your enemies do not fear an invisible opponent. The people also wonder where their lord has gone. Your influence has dropped to 30. Sire, a wealthy lord from a neighboring kingdom has just died. There is talk that his widow is looking for a new husband. Would you like to meet her? Yes. The widow asks if you have ever read the Roman histories. Have you? Definitely. The widow is impressed by your worldliness. Will you accept her hand in marriage? I will. The people are thrilled by the prospect of a noble wedding and the widow grants you access to her limitless fortune. Your wealth has increased to 80. Be careful sire, if your wealth reaches 100, the king will have you executed in order to steal your fortune. Your influence has increased to 60. Yeah, so as you can see, it's a very My simple Lord, game. I have learned a oh, I'm sorry. The witch is going ahead. Shall I cast it? <laughs> so it's a very simple game. Uh, it's just yes or no questions. Um, you're basically trying to keep your wealth and influence between 0 and 100. But, you know, we've seen people, there's about two hours of content in the current version of Yes, Sire. And we've people... We've seen people in our analytics who have played Yes Sire for over 50 hours, um, and it's not just one person. So it sort of points out that if you, uh, <laughs> if you distill a game mechanic down to sort of a simple, enjoyable basis, people will just sort of play it endlessly, even if you don't have endless content. And so I want to talk to you today about in-scale purchases, and the way I like to think about in-scale purchases and product design in general is reasoning up from first principles. Um, and so this sort of explains the first principle in a physics sense, you know, which is a basic, foundational, self-evident proposition. Essentially, it's things we know to be true. And you can contrast first principles with sort of what I like to think of as the bad way to reason about games um, and products in general. And so I'll start with the bad way to reason, which is what we would say is analogies. And essentially, the way you reason by analogy is you look at what's out there, you look at what other people have done, and you, know, you maybe copy, you maybe do a little tweak, but you basically just take what's done there before and move it on to voice. And so this is an example of what I would say are bad analogies for voice gaming. Uh, this is the top 10 grossing list from iPhone. And as you can see, there's a lot of different types of games on there. There's you know, Fortnite, sort of, there's real-time strategy, there's Candy Crush, which is kind of a, you know, a match three game with blocks, and there's, uh, there's slots games as well. And so if you were thinking, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build a popular game for Alexa, I'll just reason by analogy, and I'll take these top grossing big businesses on iPhone and modify them for voice. But you can see you know, the interfaces for these games uh, would probably be pretty bad analogies for voice experiences. Uh, on the left, we have a super complicated real-time strategy type game. In the middle, you know, the Candy Crush I was mentioning, and on the right, slots. And there are a couple key sort of bad analogies I see some time in voice games that I think we need to avoid if we want to engage our customers and effectively you know, make in-scale purchases work. And so the first one is memory or matching. Um, you know, I alluded to this with Match 3. 
But essentially, you know, in any scenario where your customer has to remember more than probably one thing, maybe two things, um, the, the skill purchase experience and the skill you know, enjoyment experience in general is quite bad. And so I think that you know, taking the matching from a match three game and analogizing it to voice would, would probably be a poor experience. Another really bad analogy is menus. You know, these are super popular in basically every visual form of software, web, mobile, you know, console, whatever. And as I'm sure many of you guys know who have built skills, it's really troublesome to give a user a list of more than two or three items, um, and especially a list of, you know, with numbers, God forbid. Um, if you give someone more than, you know, I'd say one or two numbers, they have a lot of trouble. And so in YesSire, we try to really focus on giving people sort of the one or two most relevant numbers at that particular point. Um, and the last bad analogy I would say is exploration. Uh, this kind of alludes to those real-time strategy games I was pointing out. Um, it's very difficult to sort of imagine in your mind a really complicated world. Uh, you know, I think this, is, uh, this picture is an example of a fairly complicated kind of dungeon-style game. But you know, even if you think about like, the world map, it's, it's very hard to imagine you know, where all the countries are on command. And so I would generally say you know, focus on sort of more linear, storytelling-driven experiences that sort of have a beginning, a middle, and end, and a propulsive force, rather than imagining that your user can kind of wander in every direction and explore the world. So that's it for analogies, and now I want to get into first principles and really ask, what can we learn from previous success stories? Um, I'm going to focus mostly on gaming because that's where our experience is, but I do think a lot of these basic first principles can apply to lots of different kinds of software on Alexa. And sort of divide this up into three major sections. The first one is first principles for product design. The middle is sort of first principles for what drives people to pay you, what drives them to monetize. And then the last section is sort of more tips and tricks, a little more tactical stuff. So we'll start with first principles for product design. Um, this one may seem really obvious, but identify your users. Uh, and the key with this one is a lot of people think, oh, you mean um, getting demographics. You mean figuring out how old they are, what gender, where they live, that kind of thing. That is really not what I mean when I say identify your users. Um, I like to think about what the context that the user, the customer, is using your skill in and, and why they're using it. You know, for us, for designing games, we're designing for, you know, are we designing for a husband and wife who you know, just got home from work and want to play a game together at dinner? Um, you know, they want to play one-on-one -on -one against each other. Are we designing for you know, an elderly person who's homebound a lot of the time and just kind of wants to distract themselves during the day? Um, kids, you know, learning from, for school, whether it's more educational focus, more entertainment, you know, what times of day do kids play? Do they like to play together? Do they talk over each other? Do the instructions make sense? All this kind of stuff. And then the last one, um, you know, Neela mentioned Song Quiz earlier, which is our sort of name that tune music game. Very popular as a uh, rollicking party game experience. We see very, very strong usage on the weekends of our, our multiplayer experience where lots of people are together in a room and sort of shouting over each other. So, you know, the first principle here is really understanding the context and the job that your product does for your customer. So second first principle, which is sort of directly taken from gaming, but again, I think can apply to a lot of different types of software, is called a core loop. Um, and essentially a core loop is the action that the customer will take in your product 
over and over and over and over and over again, uh, hundreds of times. You know, I mean, the core loop in Yes, Sire is answering yes or no questions. Um, the core loop in a song game is naming that tune. Um, but, you know, the core loop, uh, you know, at, at your workplace may be getting there and going through the 50 emails you've got every morning. <laughs> I mean, a core loop essentially is this sequence of action, results, a change in environment, and then a reward penalty. Um, and it, it's boiled down to very simple premises, but almost every successful consumer product, when you think about it, has this core action and results that derive from it that someone does hundreds and hundreds of times. And so you want to be thinking when you're designing a Lexus skill for monetization and just for engagement in general, what are the core loops at the center of your product that you could see someone doing 1,000 times? Um, you know, when we designed Song Quiz, the Name That Tune game, we literally sat down and were thinking, what is a game on Alexa that someone could play for 100 hours? You know, what's, what's literally possible to play for 100 hours? And you find that that filters out a lot of ideas. <laughs> it's a, you know, you can, you can have a lot of sort of hack weekend projects that someone could mess around with for a couple minutes, but maybe if you frame, okay, well, what's a core loop I could design that someone could use for 100 hours, uh, you'll end up sort of raising the level of your thinking to something more interesting. Another first principle, voice-first unique experiences. Um, this may seem really obvious, but because Alexa is a voice device, you can learn from what people do with their voices <laughs> in, in reality. Um, they tell each other stories. Uh, they play party games like Mafia together. Uh, they play board games like you know, Monopoly and the like together. Uh, there's game show style experiences. I'm sure many people here have played Jeopardy and you know, standing up and holding a buzzer and answering a trivia question is, is a fun voice-driven experience. I mean, it's, it's very sort of simple, but that's why it's a good first principle because we know there's truth in what people already do with their voices. And so if you can start thinking about well, what do people do with their voices every day, you know, you can build almost any type of product on top of that concept. And the last uh, first principle I want to talk about in terms of product design is, is back to that storytelling point. It's, you know, having a through line, leading people along, taking them from one place to the next, and offering them options, giving them a choice, but having sort of a linearity to your voice experience is really important. Um, this is something, you know, I, I like to think of an analogy that most software we've seen so far has been sort of, you know, a 2D or 3D experience. You know, it's sort of flat on your phone, or maybe it's a 3D experience if you're playing on a console. I almost like to think of voice, at least today, as sort of a 1D experience. Um, it's a line, you know. You have to bring people along the line. And there can be loops in that line, as I was talking about. But the basic idea that, you know, there's sort of a structure of a beginning, middle, and end, and you're pulling your customer along is, is a good first principle to reason with. So moving on from product design, I wanted to talk a little bit about first principles in terms of monetization. And so the first one we talk about is essentially very simple, but we're getting to a point on monetization here, which is, for the most part, more content means more engagement. I mentioned that you can use loops to extend your content. You can get people deeper into a product experience by reusing that content over and over again in a way that's still entertaining. But in the end of the day, customers sort of have this like spidey sense in the back of their mind that they, they have to get something more in order to pay for it, or at least in order to use it more. 
And the, the second half of that first principle is essentially that more engagement and more retention leads to monetization. Um, there are certainly ways to make money off of people who only use a skill one time. That said, I wouldn't recommend it in terms of first principles reasoning about how you're going to make money. Um, in the long run, you're probably going to have to make something that people engage with a lot and retain and come back over and over again in order to monetize. So one more sort of first principle on what drives monetization is it's often pretty easy. You can kind of just ask your users what they want. Uh, when we look through these reviews on YesSire, we saw that, you know, I mean, one out of five reviews essentially asked us to add more stories to YesSire. So it was fairly obvious when we were wondering, oh, okay, well, what, what are we going to sell to people? Uh, why don't we sell them more stories? <laughs> it seems fairly intuitive, but if you can get feedback from your customers, they'll often tell you exactly what you need to know. And so moving into sort of the, the tips and tricks section, I want to introduce a little bit with sort of statistics on industry monetization, just so people kind of know what you should be targeting in terms of what you're executing towards as you make, try to make money. Um, these are some conversion rates from the consumer software industry that are sort of relevant to understand as you're benchmarking uh, how you might make money. Uh, Dropbox, probably the most successful consumer you know, productivity software of the last decade, converts about 2% of its consumer users to premium. Uh, they recently started selling enterprise, which I think is going a little better for them. But still, you can build literally a, um, a public market-ready company with a 2% conversion rate. Uh, the New York Times, very similar. I'm sure you guys have frequently seen those subscription pop-up requests, but you may be surprised to know they only convert about 2% of people into uh, buying subscriptions. And mobile gaming is similar. Uh, you typically see low single-digit conversion rates uh, to payment. And so all of us building consumer software out there and hoping to monetize, you know, keep in mind that if you can get to you know, even 3% conversion rate to monetization, as long as you're building long-term retention and you're making sure your customers are coming back and enjoying it more and more and ideally sharing it with you know, their friends and family and people they know, you can, you can build a successful business based on that. So we have these pretty low conversion rates in the industry of mobile gaming, the web, et cetera. Um, now I have to drop the kicker, which is that, at least so far, conversion rates on voice are much, much higher. Um, this is collated from both us and also a number of other developers I've talked to. But we frequently see double-digit conversion rates when we ask people to pay. And that kind of comes back to that linearity I was talking about. Um, if you can bring your customer through a linear experience, and you get them to a point where they've really been enjoying using your software, and then you ask, hey, do you want a little more? Do you want a little something better? Uh, it just costs $2.99 or something like that. You can end up with double-digit conversion rates. And even the people who don't convert, you know, that 85 90% of people, usually don't end up mad at you. Um, you know, Neela mentioned we have pretty strong reviews on YesSire right now. We've had monetization in the game for about four months, and I think out of 1,600 reviews or something like that, we've gotten one negative review about asking for money. Um, I was hoping to say zero, but I think last week someone left a negative review, so I, I don't get to say zero. There's, there's one now. Um, but the point being, basically, as long as you do it right, you can get very high conversion rates and not anger your customers, even the ones that don't make a purchase. So tips and tricks. How do you, how do you reach these conversion rates, and how do you not anger your customers? Place offers contextually. Um, this is really obvious. I, you know, this picture is meant to illustrate that uh, 
grocery stores are very good at placing contextual offers as you're reaching the end of the checkout line to you know, grab a little candy or some batteries, or I guess gift cards must work because they're there. Uh, <laughs> but the point being, you put an offer in the context where it makes sense to the customer. And so talking specifically about Yes Sire, we sell an expansion pack, and you guys heard a little bit of that, uh, the witch's voice. She's a new character who joins into the game if you pay $2.99 to get sort of an additional 50% of content. And we try to offer that really contextually. Um, we only offer it after you successfully completed a game of a certain length, so we know that the customer is pretty engaged. They at least like kind of understand the concept of the game and hopefully like it. You know, we're not putting it in front of people the first time they come into the game and just asking them to buy right away. Uh, we also never do it more than once per day if someone says no. So if they say no, we don't ask them again you know, 15 minutes later. That's usually a recipe to anger your customers. And then finally, if you say no, we never ask more than three times per lifetime. Uh, we, we honestly might be being conservative here, but we generally assume that if someone says no three times, they probably don't want to buy the expansion pack. And that is a good way to avoid uh, negative reviews, is uh, not, not offering people something nine times that they just clearly don't want. So another sort of tip and trick for monetization is you know, try to offer without interrupting the experience of playing. And so, in Yes Sire, we, we specifically offer extra lives. So essentially, you're, you're about to die, and we offer you the equivalent of you know, the arcade game, you know, put in one more quarter to get one more credit and stay in the game. And we only do this sort of in the flow of the game and in a way that we think really makes sense to our customers, which is we only do it when you're about to die. We don't offer you extra lives at the beginning of the game for no real reason, given you don't know how deep you're going to get into that game. Uh, we only do it if you're five plus turns deep in the game. We assume that customers probably won't be invested enough in a particular cycle if they're not um, you know, more than five turns deep sort of on their way to a high score. Uh, and again, we only do it once per day if you say no, and we never do it more than three times per lifetime. So these extra live offers really make sense to our customers, especially our most devoted ones that have these sort of personal high scores that they post in reviews. They say, you know, I got to 27 turns, and some other guy got to 32 turns, and someone else got to 38 turns. And so uh, we can sort of take advantage of that contextual moment where you're trying to reach a high score by offering extra lives as a consumable in-skill purchase at that moment. Another sort of basic principle of what we're doing in terms of how we upsell users is that we are suggestive, we're not overly salesy. And so I guess this is the uh, stereotypical uh, used car salesman in this clip art. And so I'm going to show you a couple examples from the game of you know, what we might have done and what we ended up doing in terms of how we sold our in-app purchases uh, or in-skill purchases to our customers. So here's one option of how we might offer someone an extra life. You're about to die. Would you like to buy an extra life? Okay, fairly straightforward. You're about to die. Do you want an extra life? Uh, honestly, this would probably work somewhat well. The direct uh, route probably has some effectiveness. But we try to do something a little more clever and a little more in character with the game. Sire, your wealth has dropped to zero. The Emperor will be outraged. The head of the powerful Rizzoli banking family says he can secretly restore your wealth to 50 for a small fee. Would you like to talk to the banker Rizzoli? So as you can see, we put a fair amount of effort into trying to make the upsell to in-scale purchase make sense in the context of the game. 
It's a, it's a new character you get to talk to. Uh, he's a banker. Uh, he can restore your wealth secretly to keep you alive. Uh, there's a lot of sort of pleasure points we try to put in the monetization experience so that our customers you know, enjoy and understand in the context of the game why they might make this purchase. Um, this is sort of in the suggest don't sell framework. I think that if you are able to create an in-scale purchase that fits naturally within the context of your game, and if your game isn't a story, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a character, but almost every game has a writing style, has sort of a brand experience that you want to fit those in-scale purchases into and not be overly jarring to your customers. So another sort of tip and trick, you need to handle transitions gracefully. Uh, this is really obvious to people who have read their Alexa documents carefully, but it's super important that if someone makes the purchase, you deliver a useful success message. Um, you describe the benefits and the limitations of the thing they just bought. And of course, you handle declines and failures gracefully and within the context of your skill. Um, Again, you know, even though I'm very excited that we, we reach these double-digit conversion rates, that means you know, at, at best, 85% of people are gonna say no. So you wanna make sure that those 85% of people who say no are still having a positive experience in your skill and, and make sure that maybe they'll be incentivized or motivated to make the purchase next time. So I have a couple examples of how we do successful and failed transactions in Yes, Sire. Congratulations. You have made a deal with the banker. A wise choice, sire. Your wealth has been reset to 50. And here's a rejection. Very well, sire. I will send her away for now. She smells fishy to me, and I mean that literally. Her breath smells like rotten trout. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, as you can see, we put a lot of effort into the rejection message. Um, again, it's in character, it's in the writing style of the game, and we feel like those 85 to 90% of people who say no the first time may find it funny enough to have gotten the rejection and sort of appreciate that we as the developers put in the effort to make it fun to say no, that maybe next time they'll come back and say yes. Or at least they'll continue to have a positive experience with Yes Sire. And so sort of the final really obvious tip and trick is you need to measure and optimize your in-skill purchases. Uh, this is a, I guess, redacted uh, <laughs> a version of the monetization dashboard that you have in your Alexa Skill Developer Console. Um, it's super important to sort of measure these very high-level metrics. Uh, the top one is how many purchases people are making, which is important. But in the bottom section, you can see the percentage of people who are converting on the offer you give to them and also the number of impressions, the number of people who are actually seeing the offer. And so these are kind of like, you know, the pulse of your monetization experience and you clearly need to be monitoring these. If you're all of a sudden you're offered a purchase conversion rate dives from 12% to 4%, you probably need to know why. And also, if impressions are way down for some reason, even if your user count isn't, it's, it's incredibly important to understand why your monetization isn't being presented to as many customers. You know, that said, the Alexa Developer Console is, as I said, a great pulse of how your monetization experience is going. I would recommend, if you wanna sort of take this to the next level, you go even more intense on your analytics. Um, this is a screenshot from the tool we use called Amplitude. There's a number of really high-level uh, analytics pieces of software out there today that I'm sure you guys are all aware of. But measuring and optimizing monetization at a very specific and advanced level has been 
tremendously valuable to us. Um, we're able to run A-B experiments on pricing. We're able to run tests on when to put in the monetization upsells to people. Uh, we're able to figure out you know, how many times someone says no before we're pretty much sure they'll never say no again. And so, you know, the, again, the Alexa Developer Console is an awesome tool, but if you want to you know, take things to the next level and really build a business out of your skill, I highly recommend you sign up for something more advanced and start architecting kind of an event tracking schema that lets you learn more and more how to sell things to your customers. So that's kind of it for my first principles, a little recap a summary slide. Uh, it's you know, super important to remember the core loops of any product. Uh, talked about this at the beginning. Doesn't just apply to games. Try to think about the thing that someone will use your skill for 500 times. And I think that will be a very good framing for product design going forward. Identify your users, not really just demographically, but specifically the context and the life experience in which they are using your skill and why they would use it again and again. Uh, identify voice-first unique experiences. Again, on some level, designing voice software is really easy. You can just think about everything people use their voices for, and probably at some point there will be a version of that type of experience on Alexa. So. Maybe just write down everything you talked about today and think about how you can turn one of those experiences into an Alexa skill. Uh, place offers contextually. You know, only put in-skill purchase in front of people when it makes sense. Don't spam them up front the first time they're ever using your skill when they might not understand what it is. Offer without interrupting. You know, try not to break the flow because a lot of times you're sort of casting a spell over a customer and you don't want to break that spell in order to sell them something. Focus on writing quality. You know, this you know, probably applies more to games and entertainment experiences, but in general, given that the entire interface of your skill is essentially writing and speaking, uh, really nailing that down and being concise but still descriptive, I think is essential to a positive Alexa skill experience. And then finally, measure and optimize. If you're serious about turning this into a business, which I hope everyone here is today, uh, you've got to have really, really good analytics to improve things quickly because uh, the amount you can learn from that just will, uh, you know, I don't know, five or 10x how quickly you can improve your monetization. So that's all I've got. I'm going to hand it back to Neelam, and thanks very much. Thanks, Max for sharing your insights and the tips and tricks. Majority of what Max said applies not only to games, but as well as other types of skills. We have seen similar experiences and learnings from informational or trivia games or even educational games. What I want to share is uh, summarizing everything that we have learned from developers as well as our internal experimentation. First and foremost, ensure skill quality. This is not something that you can compromise on or fix it later. And what I mean by skill quality is not only making it defect-free, although that's the bare minimum you need to do, but also focusing on creating delightful customer experiences. And here are some tips about what you need to keep in mind as you focus on skill quality. For example, create robust utterance support. And what I mean by that is focus on what your customers are uh, asking about or what your customers would typically, they may say when they start using your skill 
and implement all of those utterances within your skill. Create varied and personalized prompts. You saw several examples from YesSire about what that may mean for your own skill. Add some persona uh, character to your skill, even if it's not a game. And most important, graceful exits. Don't abruptly end your skill, although it may seem very obvious to you. Handle the successes and failures gracefully. As Max just mentioned, 85% of your users may not buy your product. And in that case, how do you ensure that you create a positive customer experience for those declines or even failures? Next, if you're trying to create engaging customer experiences, you need engaging content. And especially if you're trying to get those customers to pay for your content, it's even more important. Consider creating refreshing your content every so often, or create some infinite mix of those contents so that customers would get something new every time they come to your skill. Even when you have a loyal and engaging customer base, if they keep coming back to your skill again and again, are they getting the same content? Are they, is your skill becoming predictable? You have to start thinking of innovative ways to provide that new experience for your customers. Consider creating some surprise elements or add Easter eggs to your skills. Depending on uh, the current events or a holiday season, try adding some persona to your skill. In the example that you saw earlier, uh, Wally had added Amazon Polly voice to the skills to create that kind of gameplay where you have a sire's uh, British accent talking about how you talk to banker Rizzoli or how you can take some kind of loan versus then the purchase experience is through Alexa. That adds some variety and some character to your skill. Most important for your monetization experience is choosing your monetization strategy carefully. Not everything, not all your use cases may have similar monetization strategy. For example, if you have a hypnosis or meditation skill, you may not want to interrupt your customers over and over again with your offers. In that case, subscriptions would make more sense. However, you have to keep in mind that if you're providing subscriptions, then your customers would expect some kind of repeat benefit, either through repeat usage or through refreshed contents. On the other hand, if you have bite-sized content, which you're trying to provide an instant benefit to your customers, you would prefer consumables, which customers would buy in that instant and use it immediately. If you have a large catalog of contents, you can choose one of the other. Uh, if you want to provide a time-bound access to the entire catalog, you can consider time-bound consumables. On the other hand, if you want to provide a small portion of that large catalog, permanent access, then you can consider one-time purchases. So as you can see, there are many things that you need to evaluate depending on your use case, as well as depending on what your customers are trying to do, and then choose that monetization framework and strategy carefully. I can't stress enough how important measuring is. I think Max has already convinced you on why you should measure, especially if you're trying to create a business out of skills. 
And we strongly believe that you can't improve what you can't measure. So I will be stressing this again and again through some of the next slides, but keep measuring to understand what your customers like, what your customers are declining, and how the skill usage is changing based on your new uh, information or new content that you're adding to your skills. I think you have seen several examples of what it means to place offer thoughtfully. Context is extremely important, as Max already pointed out. Offers which are placed in irrelevant places can turn off your customers. Nobody likes to be sold, and so explain the benefit of the offer or the product first, and then explain the details later. This may seem counterintuitive, but don't bury your offer so much that it becomes a treasure hunt to find the product. Place it, make it easy for your customers to find the product and understand its benefit. But then don't interrupt your customers too much, otherwise, as Max uh, said earlier, it may break the spell. For example, if you're offering hints in a trivia game, if you offer just one hint at a time, Every time they would be uh, needing the hint, they would have to buy it again and again. Instead of that, consider offering a pack of hints, three pack or five pack hint, so that they buy it once and then they are able to continue their skill experience without interruptions. And again, learn and optimize. Consider having some kind of mathematical formula or algorithm of when your customers are accepting the offers and when they are declining and then tweak your offer placement. For example, um, if your customers are declining, uh, if you're offering three times a day and all the three times your customers have declined, then consider backing off. So three things I want you to remember for placing offers. Placement, frequency, and the messaging itself. And last but not the least, provide help to your customers. Don't make them guess as to how to use your skill. In the voice world, it is really tricky to educate your customers of how your skill works. In the visual, in the visual world or in mobile world, it's easy to place menus and customers can actually click on it even when they are playing the game to understand what the app does. But in the skill world, consider what the user may need. And again, you have to analyze and customize it. For example, if it's a first-time user uh, who's not familiar with your skill, you would typically want to give some guidance about what the skill does, how to navigate the skill. However, if it's, an, it's a veteran user, you would want to directly dive into the skill without boring them with helpful content. In monetization context, there are a couple of things that you can start implementing from the right beginning. What can I buy? Uh, what do I have left? For example, how many lives do I have left? How much money do I have left, etc. So think carefully about where your customers may need help and what you can do to provide the right amount of help at the right time. And with that, I would like to provide you some resources which, which will be helpful for you as you go next and start thinking about building your skills with monetization. Everything that you need, starting from resources, API help, sample codes, even testimonials and case studies from other developers, 
Everything is right here on this link, and all you need to add to this is your creativity and your effort. We have some related sessions that you may find useful, which would go much deeper into the contents. For example, we have a workshop in another hour or so, which is a hands-on coding workshop, which would get you into the details of creating the skills, adding the in-scale products, and actually placing the offers and tweaking that to get a workable demo by the end of the workshop. Tomorrow we have another session which will do a deep dive into different aspects of in-skill purchasing APIs, and it's at Bellagio. I thank you everyone for appreciate you attending this session, and please complete the session survey in the mobile app after we're done here. And I and Max will be available after this session right outside the room if you have any questions. Thank you.